This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Bullet-resistant doors and windows on schools. There's a bill being kicked around in the state. We'll talk with Elisa Nelson. Crown Candy Kitchen has been thriving in St. Louis since 1913. We'll hear more about the sweet treats and the history. Trout fishing at Montauk State Park. Matt Crossman of Missouri Life Magazine says these trips are about traditions. His friends got him hooked. Excuse the pun. DAV, or the Disabled American Veterans Organization, wants your help. They're looking to bolster their roster of volunteers to support veterans. Anthony Morabith is with DAV National Voluntary Services Director John Kleindienst. I have the privilege of overseeing the DAB National Voluntary Services Program all across the country. Um, I'm, I'm charged with uh, our, our transportation program, recruiting young adults to volunteer for DAB, in hopes of promoting our scholarship program, encouraging individuals to volunteer in the community, um, volunteer in VA medical facilities, as well as our partnership with the VA in regards to the National Disabled Veterans Winter Sports Clinic and the National Disabled Veterans Golf Clinic. And uh, I think that this is incredibly important because it, it, not just volunteering in the community, but it, the impact that volunteering has on the veteran community as a whole. So uh, explain your point of view on the impact that has on the community. Well, so first and foremost, uh, when an individual volunteers for a veteran or a veteran's family, um, they get to hear a side of the story and establish a relationship that continues to grow and prosper. Uh, so I hear stories all the time from our volunteers, and I hear stories all the time from veterans, uh, how, how meaningful it is for volunteers to step in and fill critical gaps uh, that veterans may suffer from as a result of their military service or their family member, for that matter. And these volunteers get out and make a difference each and every day and are great advocates for DAV and our voluntary services program. And I especially think that's important, uh, not just from the point of view of someone who's not served, but it's always fascinating to hear the stories of those who have served in the military, whether it's uh, some of our World War II vets who are still hanging on to uh, some of the vets whom I've gone to high school with who, you know, served in Iraq and Afghanistan and things like that and just everywhere in between. And, and, and no, uh, every one story is unique and individual and especially when you ask their point of view, it has an impact. So, uh, John, let's talk a little bit. First off, uh, DAV, the Disabled American Veterans, uh, talk about the services that DAV provides for the veterans themselves. You, you bet. DAV is a nonprofit that provides a lifetime of support for veterans of all generations, their families and survivors. Every year, our no-cost services help more than 1 million veterans access the benefits and health care they've earned while connecting them with meaningful employment and representing their voice on Capitol Hill. Just out of curiosity, in, in regards to the number of vets who need support and, and the volunteers themselves, why is it, you think, in your professional opinion, that uh, the, the volunteer numbers has decreased? I, I also recognize that I, I know COVID-19 played a, a big impact in that. But just on top of that, just talk about some of the numbers and, and what you hope to do to try and get uh, some people and, and more people involved in trying to volunteer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every organization that I that I know of has suffered a decline in volunteerism, and you're absolutely correct. COVID nineteen did have an impact on that. What we're what we're seeing is that our older generation of of, of volunteers and veterans in general are you know can no longer 
you know, do the things that they've done, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So as an organization, you know, we're charged with trying to constantly recruit volunteers to come in and keep a, our, our stable of, of ready and willing volunteers full so they can jump in and help uh, where we're, we're seeing people that are, are aging out or just uh, have health issues or things along those lines that prevents them from continuing to volunteer. Um, so when we talk to talk to your, when your listeners or, or, you know, or hearing the show, I just ask that they uh, go to volunteerforveterans.org. Uh, let us know of their interest of becoming a volunteer. If there's a veteran listening and he or she has a need, let us know of that need so we can try to find a volunteer to come in and take care of some of those needs that you might have that aren't being met right now. How would I be able to find out more about the volunteer opportunities in this particular case available here in Missouri? You can go to volunteerforveterans.org and uh, submit uh, your information to us, and we will advise your listeners of all the opportunities that exist in the area. Uh, we're always looking for transportation network drivers. Missouri is a beautiful state, and we have a very large and robust transportation network program that operates across the entire state. Uh, so there's a good opportunity there for some of your listeners to consider becoming a DAB transportation network driver. Speaking of transportation network driver, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that's one of your more prolific programs here, and that is arranging and scheduling and putting together rides for vets who basically don't have a way to get to and from their medical appointments at uh, basically the VA medical facilities, in this case, all across the state. That's absolutely correct. It is a very prolific program. Missouri is one of our leading states with the transportation network. Um, last year alone, we provided more than 209,000 free, no-cost rides to veterans to and from their medical appointment. And I want to thank all the Missouri DAV volunteer drivers who are listening today. Thank you for remaining steadfast in our commitment to ensure our promises are kept to America's veterans and their families. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with DAV National Voluntary Services Director John Kleindienst, as well as a Marine Corvette himself. So first off, thanks for your service, sir, by the way. And and I wanted to bring this up because I think that this is extremely important. With regards to uh, volunteering in the community and helping the veterans community out on top of helping the veterans community and volunteering, do you happen to think that just having someone there whether it be driving or whether it be just someone to talk to is a very helpful, very therapeutic in itself. Uh, thank you for uh, complimenting my service. I appreciate that. But yes, I do. I do find it very uh, beneficial for, for veterans to have a, a person just to listen to them, you know, like a peer to peer. Um, that, that is very helpful. Uh, a direct interaction with a veteran or their family member is always beneficial. That lets them know that their service to this great country doesn't go unnoticed. And so when, when young folks or individuals listen to their stories and volunteer their time, which is our most precious commodity, it is very rewarding and uplifting to the veteran and the veteran community alone. And, you know, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is a lot of these stories are, uh, like in, in my particular case, my, my grandfather was a World War II vet, and a lot of these stories are being lost to time, and all they simply want to do is just to talk about it. They don't want to be asked some of the more uh harder questions in relation to their service necessarily, but they just want to talk about their time and how appreciative just we as Americans are for that service. That's absolutely correct. It's, it's always nice to lend an ear and uh, to, to share that camaraderie. 
with with veterans uh, and thanking them for their service. It's probably the most important thing we can do is is citizens of this great country is to recognize the sacrifices of the men and women who've worn a uniform and uh, acknowledge that sacrifice. I also happen to see that the uh, disabled American veterans are also offering uh, over $100,000 in scholarship money for uh, young Americans who volunteer through the organization itself. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. We do award 10 scholarships annually valued at $110,000. Our top scholarship is $30,000. All a young, uh, an individual 21 years of age or younger has to do is get out and volunteer for veterans and give us 100 hours or more on behalf of DAV in order to be eligible for our scholarship. They can learn more about our scholarship by going to DAVscholarships.org. But I'd like to tell a story that goes with that. We had a young lady by the name of Haley Cornett in Little Rock, Arkansas, who's a past scholarship recipient. She was so inspired by the stories and the veterans that she had interactions with while performing her duties as a DAV volunteer that uh, she decided to join the Army and is now serving as a medic for the United States Army. So uh, the impact that uh, the veterans made on Haley was a life-changing impact, and Haley has gone on to serve her as, as a veteran herself. And I think that that's extremely important because uh, w- the younger Americans, the younger kids here in our country, uh, young and impressionable, and if you impression uh, on, on more kids, boy, just what kind of impact that would have uh, in years to come and in the future. Absolutely. They are they are the future of this country, and we're in, we're in great hands after looking at all of the nominations that we received for this year as far as our scholarships. These young, these young adults are doing remarkable things in their communities and should be applauded. We're talking with DAV National Voluntary Services Director John Kleindienst, as well as a Marine Corps vet here on Show Me Today. To learn more and to sign up, visit volunteerforveterans.org. Once again, that is volunteerforveterans.org. And John, it's a pleasure to have you join us here on Show Me Today. Show Me Today. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. 
When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, Elisa Nelson, joining us from the Capitol. Well, there's a, an interesting bill that has been introduced. Uh, Bullet-resistant doors and windows could be next for all Missouri school buildings. Uh, Elisa, has this been something that has been in the works, or is this a response to the shooting that took place at that Christian school in Tennessee where uh, we found out that the shooter shot the glass out through the door? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I have not heard of this, uh, this bill, this, uh, this particular provision actually being, um, proposed before. Now, it doesn't mean that it has not been. Maybe it has. I just don't, I don't recall. Um, however, I, I, I will say, you know, it was just last fall when, um, a, a former student out of St. Louis High School uh, forced his way into a school there with a gun and opened fire, killing two people and wounding several others. And so I think that um, is still fresh on the mind of many people. Um, I'm not sure if that necessarily was brought up um, in response to this bill, but um, I do know, you know, that is one thing to consider because the shooter, um, I believe, um, busted a, a, the window of a door uh, to gain access into the school building, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's what I that's what I think happened, too. So explain this bill then in Missouri about the bullet resistant doors and windows. Okay, so this bill, there's a lot of different pieces to this bill. Now, what um, this particular provision includes that the House has approved a wide-ranging public safety bill. The bullet-resistant doors and windows would uh, be required for first-floor entryways and windows large enough for an intruder to get through. It, it, but there are also some other notable pieces in the bill. Um, there's Blair's Law, which has been an effort that has um, been talked about for several years, um, which would create an offense for illegally firing a gun into the air. There's also stuff in there uh, that would criminalize the stealing of mail, um, packages, that sort of thing, like porch piracy, basically, which is, is 
has been on the rise. And so um, those are some of the key, the other key components to the bill. Yeah. You know, the only issue that I have with uh, bulletproof windows that are only big enough uh, for a person to fit through, you know, would be those long ones that you see at the door. That would be very easy to shoot out and just reach in and unlock the door. Right. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, we'll see where this gets. Um, and so, um, but that is a, I, I understand what you're talking about because I, I think that, you know, just busting out a window in a door like um, I believe the shooter did in St. Louis, even if you can't fit through it, if you can still put your hand through it to open a door, then that's a problem. What are uh, some of the uh, lawmakers saying about this? Well, uh, of course, Democrats are outraged by this. Um, there was there was some uh, raised voices um, on the floor, maybe even some shouting. I'm not sure. But um, they were definitely fired up about this bill. Um, so, for instance, um, House Democratic leader Crystal Quaid of Springfield, she said uh, the Republican controlled legislature should. Uh, be restricting access to guns for children and mentally ill people. It sure as heck seems like we're building prisons for our children to get used to. The other side in this conversation is fortifying that, making it okay and normalized that our children have to go through these tra traumatic trainings and events every year of their schooling so that when the next phase comes in, they're ready for it. Yeah, Elisa, she, you know, she brings up a good point. Yeah, I'm watching... And just about finished with a documentary on Netflix on the uh, Boston Marathon bombing. Oh. And one of the police officers very early in the first segment uh, said something that really struck with me. And he said, you know, what he learned from that day was that if somebody wants to cause destruction, there's not much you can do to stop them. We don't want schools to look like prisons, but... I also think you kind of have to react when these shooters are finding different ways to to get into these schools. Now, the whole listen, I and I don't have the answer and, and even our lawmakers don't have the answer on what to do with the guns part of it. But until that issue is resolved, we've got to do stuff to try to protect kids. Yeah. And I think that's um, something that, you know, taking a holistic approach is something uh, is a, an approach, I think, that some would argue is is good um and so yeah i totally understand what you're saying yeah state representative maggie nurnburn uh she's also a democrat and she is from kansas city is it next going to be body armor for every kid so they can go to school because the interesting thing about it doesn't matter if we bulletproof the outside of the buildings people are walking inside with guns right so what happens when the threat is from the inside i'm just sick and tired of talking about crime prevention or public safety and never addressing the guns. It's the guns. Yeah, I think that uh, we've got to attack this on two different fronts. We've got to figure out how we get the, the guns out of certain people's hands. But at the same time, we've got to protect the schools, too. But that's going to be pretty hard, isn't it, for uh, Democrats and Republicans to, to find common ground on this? I don't know. I mean... I guess we'll have to wait and see um, if they can work something out here. Um, I think it's, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion from Democrats about um, 
the NRA having so much power. And I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, I Now, State Representative Chad Perkins, he's a Republican from Bowling Green, and he's made the argument a couple times uh, during debate. He said this move of having bullet-resistant doors and windows on Missouri school buildings would designate state funding to protect public schools, um, is simply kind of what you had said, you know. And so um, it, it would be designating more state funding. Um, and so he, he said, that, you know, there are some Democrats that really criticize Republicans for not um, um, putting more state funding towards schools. And so he said, this is putting more funding towards schools. <laughs> and so that was one of the arguments he made a couple of times. Bullet-resistant doors and windows are the next for Missouri school buildings. Thanks for taking time with us. Uh, appreciate catching up with you. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. 
For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school. What about the incident today? Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Show me today. Well, Matt Crossman, who is a freelance writer for Missouri Life magazine, decided to go on a fishing trip. He joins us now. Matt, are you much of a fisherman? I was trying to read your article on MissouriLife.com, and and I couldn't quite tell if uh, you had experience fishing or not. Uh, Those are two separate questions. Am I a good fisherman, and do I have experience fishing are two uh, entirely different questions. (laughs) It's like, have you golfed a lot, and are you a good golfer? Yeah, I can Uh, relate to that. So I actually have... Yeah, so I actually I have uh, either for fun or for various uh, magazine assignments uh, fished quite a bit, and uh, I I am getting marginally better where I can show up now at a place like Montauk, and uh, you know there's a, there's a daily catch limit of four. Uh, I think I've been there five full days now, and I've gotten the gotten to the catch limit uh, four of those days, so. Uh, more than incompetent, less than someone you would want to teach you, I guess is, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. how I would describe my fishing. Experience. Well, it's it sounds like you're doing quite well. Uh, Montauk, uh, as, uh, as I mentioned uh, in the open, it's uh, one of uh, three state parks where you can kind of go and experience the whole trout fishing thing. So what drew you to uh, Montauk to give this a try? Uh, my friend's invitation, to be completely honest with you, I have uh, good friends. And this is completely common, I have learned, who fish at Montauk. They do it uh, multiple times a year. One of the guys told me he's down there a, literally a dozen times a year driving from St. Louis. And I talked with the, the, the park rangers there, and they told me there are so many regulars that they get to know the regulars uh, because they come back so often. They stay in the same campsites, and they fish in the same spots. And so really it was my friend's invitation uh, to go. And so last year was my first time. And I got to say, after about 10 minutes, I thought, well, I'm either going to force them to invite me again, or I'm just going to come whether they invite me uh, or not. So now I'm uh, going to be an, an annual, if not more than that, uh, participant. Matt Crossman is a writer for Missouri Life magazine. So what was it in those first 10 minutes that drew you to uh, trout fishing and or Montauk State Park? You know, it's a, that's a that's a great question. I would say uh, so. I, I got there, uh, kind of not knowing where to go. Not, uh, all my friends were already out fishing. I didn't know where they were, and so I just parked uh, near the lodge. I stepped out of my car and I looked up to my right, and there was a bald eagle soaring over me with either uh, a very small snake, a very big worm, or a stick uh, in its mouth, and. 
you know, for that to be like literally the first thing I, I saw, I thought, well, this is just beautiful. About 10 minutes later, uh, I caught a fish and then it started sort of sleeting, raining, snowing, icing. It looked like I was being pelted with um, like little balls of cotton. Uh, and so I, I quickly, you know, got out of the river, went back to the camp campsite to the fire to warm up. But that sort of spectacular display of nature upon arrival is what hooked me. And then basically every day since then has been uh, similar. Matt Crossman, a writer for Missouri Life magazine, talking about his experience at trout fishing at Montauk State Park. And it's one of those things you go, you fish, you camp, you, you hang with your buddies. Uh, you kind of make a day or two out of it. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah go ahead. It, 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 it's funny you say, you know, you fish with your buddies. I sometimes wonder if we're actually, if this should actually be called an eating weekend in which we happen to fish in between, you know, the scant minutes <laughs> in between our meals, because these guys do it upright. Uh, I, 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 this time I contributed, uh, I made, um, venison stew. So I felt like I was contributing a little bit, but we eat, frankly, we eat so much that there's barely any time to fish. So you had friends that invited you. I find that a little odd. I'm not much of a fisherman myself, but I would think that uh, once you find a spot and you know where to go and, and you don't want to give away those secrets, you kind of want to keep it to yourself and kind of keep it uh, as private as you possibly can. But they were open to sharing it with you. And, and now you're, you're going to be a lifer. You know, that's a great question. And I would say, I, I would agree with the, uh, that's what I thought too. Uh, you know, who's going to tell you they're, they're great fishing spots because if, if you go to their great fishing spot, well, now it's crowded. Uh, and I would say, uh, first of all, they were my friends so that, that it tilts it a little bit, but even strangers, uh, when we were out, when I was out on the river and this has happened multiple times. So you'll be out on the river and let's say there's, you know, 20 or 30 feet between you and the next guy. And it kind of works like a conveyor belt where you'll, you'll work a spot for a little while. And then you'll, you'll move to your, usually to, you know, your face in one shore, you'll move to the right. And if the guy next to you, if you don't know him and he's catching a lot of fish and you basically say, Hey, what color are you using? Or what are you using? I was surprised that not only did everybody answer, but they did so uh, willingly and not grudgingly. So far as I could tell, it's, it's possible, frankly, that they were lying to me, but I don't think they were. Uh, and so that's one of the other interesting things is like every day, it seems like there's a different color that the fish want to eat that day. And if you're lucky and you put that color on your line, you're going to catch a whole bunch of fish right away. Somebody sees you doing that and they say, Hey, what color are you using? Uh, I tell them because I want people to tell me. So yeah, but much friendlier to newbies, uh, than I would have expected. And I think that's uh, because everybody used to be a newbie and they remember getting broken in at Montauk. Somebody helped them to become you know, a, a veteran at Montauk, so now they want to share the wealth. Yeah, and what's nice is State Parks you know, replenishes uh, and they, they put enough fish in there and, and they know how many people are going to be out there. So it's a chance for everybody to have success. If you're uh, good. Yeah, again, yeah, <laughs> back to the... Uh, you know, uh, there's a difference between, uh, you know, having fished a lot and having fished well. But you're right. That's that's a big part of the draw is they stock the fish. Uh, they, they stock the rivers with, you know, a number of fish commensurate to how many fishermen they have had the previous day. So if you take out a thousand fish out of the river, 
uh, you would think that it's going to be replenished, you know, roughly that amount the next day. So it's uh, it keeps perpetuating, and that's what makes it fun. I mean, there are I I would imagine there are hardcore fishermen who don't want to you know fish somewhere where it's stocked, but you know they can listen to a different radio show because they're wrong. Uh, best way to prepare trout. Oh, that's easy. So here's what you do. You take uh, a slab of wood, you, uh, um, butter, salt, pepper, put it on there, put it in the fire for 10 minutes, take it out, another layer of all that, put it back in there, take it out again, and now you're ready. You put, uh, you put the trout on your plate, and you throw it in the fire and eat the wood because trout really doesn't taste very good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> uh, uh, lots of lots of lemon and butter. Yeah, yeah. Drown it, huh? <laughs> drown a fish. Yeah. Uh, Matt, any recommendations for people who uh, want to give trout fishing a try and, and want to check out Montauk State Park? Some things they should think about. Yeah, the first one would be uh, check out the weather. Uh, when I was driving down two weekends ago, it was uh, a Friday afternoon, which people in mid Missouri will remember the tornado warnings. I was on uh, I-44, and the radio came on and said, "If you're on, uh, if you're in between exits 188 and 200, you need to get off the highway right away." I looked up; I was at 205, so I uh, rounded down and uh, got to a restaurant. And, and frankly, as I was getting out of my car, the tornado siren was going off. And then it was in the 20s one night when I was there, and in the 70s later in the afternoon. So that's a temperature swing of about 50 degrees. Both of my trips there have been pretty extreme weather uh, variations. Other than that, I would say definitely waders. I before I, you know, I, I've been fishing probably a hundred times before I went to Montauk. Had never bought waders. Uh, absolutely, you need to be in the river. Uh, that's part of the experience, uh, and it just it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. And then I would also say, give yourself a couple of days. Don't just make a one day trip out of it. Uh, make two or three. You may bring somebody along. You may bring a newbie along next. You know, there, there's actually there's no question. It, it's how many newbies and and which ones. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Matt Crossman, a writer for Missouri Life Magazine, MissouriLife.com. You can. Uh, find his article about his uh, adventures at Montauk State Park. So uh, these trips are about uh, traditions. My first morning there, I got up early and I was taking a walk to go buy my daily pass. And uh, you can't start fishing until 7 o'clock and they ring a siren that signals the start of the day. I walk past the river and it's 6.58 and I look in the river and there's 6 or 8 or 10 people in there already. And I thought, well, they're, so, they're obviously breaking the rules. Why are they doing that? They're going to get in trouble. <laughs> then I noticed they weren't actually fishing yet. They were standing in the river, not fishing, which I thought was funny. Uh, I also thought it was funny that I was watching them not fish. Uh, the siren goes off, and they immediately, everybody, I mean, their lines were in the water a fraction of a second after the siren started. One of them caught a fish literally before the siren was done ringing. Uh, the person had a fish on the line, and he would have had it in the net, except for it squiggled a little, so he, he missed his first scoop. And I thought that would be a neat ritual for me to watch people not fish. But after two or three days of that, I thought, no, I'm actually going to join them. So I got up very early, and I was in the water at 6.58, and it was peaceful and silent, and the mist floating up off the river uh, was even you know, just reinforced all of the reasons 
that I go there. So that is going to be my new ritual is I'm going to be in the water at 6.58. And my goal, my new life goal is to have a fish in the net before the siren is done. Matt Crossman from Missouri Life Magazine. Uh, sharing stories and uh, his experiences of Montauk State Park. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit WeSaySaveIt.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back on Show Me Today, Cameron Connor is here now with Andy Karanziff, the owner of Crown Candy Kitchen, which has been a go-to location for sweet treats, holiday festivals, uh, even a nice lunch in St. Louis since 1913. Andy, we're talking about an establishment that's been around for 110 years. That's not only is it wildly impressive, there's got to be a story behind it. So can you give me the history? So um, my grandfather, uh, Harry Karanziff, he was a Greek immigrant, and um, 
around the turn of the, the 20th century, early 1900s, he uh, came to uh, the United States and landed in, wound up in St. Louis. And he, he had brought some confectionery skills with him. So he knew that part of the business. So he worked odd jobs and learned the language. And when he had enough money saved up, he, he bought, he opened up the business here at 1401 St. Louis Avenue and he had candy and ice cream to start. And then eventually in the early twenties, he added food and that's when we became a restaurant also. And basically my grandfather ran it from 1913 till about 1951. And when his health was declining and my father, George, he had just gotten out of the war in the late forties. He was in world war two, drove a tank for Patton. And, um, he took over in 1951 and he ran until 1991 when my brothers and I took it over. And, um, unfortunately my oldest brother, Mike passed away, uh, of stomach cancer about 11 years ago. And, uh, my brother Tommy has since retired. He took care of my mother, uh, the last couple of years of her life. And now my wife, Sherry and I were, uh, were, were running it. And yes, it is kind of mind blowing to think that for 110 years, you know, people have been walking through our doors and supporting our family. And I'm a very lucky person that, uh, we have such great customers. The family lineage that you all share through this Crown Candy Kitchen, it, it it's kind of eye-opening and also jaw-dropping to hear about the story that your family has put so much work and passion into this. Yeah, you know, my, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, this once was a very thriving neighborhood. It was densely populated. And, you know, so this was, you know, it was Polish and German. And, and you know, the there was some Italian on the uh, edges of it. And there was... You know, you know, there was some Irish and it was just, you know, it was a good working class neighborhood with factories and warehouses and lots of small businesses. And then over just over time, you know, basically, for lack of a better way to put it, the, the white flight began and people started leaving the neighborhood. And, you know, the property started to deteriorate because people weren't living in it. They were they were or they weren't they didn't have a stake in it. It was just rental property and, and property started to decline and the neighborhood started to kind of you know, lose its luster. And my dad said the early seventies were the worst he ever saw down here, you know, with, you know, inflation and crime and, and this, you know, you know, the population leaving. And so we've, we, you know, we weathered that storm and we've been through several other storms. And, you know, my father always said, this is our home. This is where we belong. So we've, you know, to this day, we've, we always will, you know, say no to people that say, Hey, I've got a great place for you out in St. Charles County, or you should move down to Jefferson County, or you should move over to Illinois. You, you know what, this is our home. This is where we belong. You know, that's, that's help what I believe. And you know what, business is good and people support us. And I love this neighborhood and, you know, the people down here have taken very good care of us. So, you know, we, we want to return the favor. I guess let, let's get down to the nitty gritty of what is offered at, at Crown Candy Kitchen. Talk to me about the array of different candies that you make and serve up. We make all of our, most of our chocolates in house, not all of them anymore. Just there's not enough hours in the day uh, to make everything. So we do bring some stuff in, but we, you know, we hand dip our nut clusters, our raisins, the coconut, the heavenly hash. And, you know, that chocolate's always been, you know, a big part of who we are. And then we also make all of our own ice creams. And we make some of the toppings for the ice creams, the hot fudge, 
the butterscotch. We also make our own chocolate syrup, which I think is one reason why our chocolate malts and shakes are so good. It's because we make that chocolate syrup right here in house with the original recipes from my grandfather. And the ice cream is one, let's call it about a third of our business. The candy is about a third of our business. And then you break, you know, you, you bring in the food, which is, you know, the, the draw for a lot of people now. And that's the other third. You know, we, it, it's pretty even breakdown. We serve a BLT that's got about a pound of bacon on it, 12, 15 slices of bacon, depending on who's in back cooking. We go through 22 tons of bacon a year. You know, people, you know, come down and they get a BLT, they get a chocolate shake, they get some candy. You know, it's like one-stop shopping for everything. Andy, a pound of bacon on a BLT or go into house-made chocolate syrup for any of your malts or shakes or any of the candies or chocolates you make, I think you just convinced the rest of the state of Missouri that they have to come and try this place out. <laughs> I know I'm sold. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, that's that's the thing. It's you know our business is kind of unique where I, I kind of can understand my 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 year. You know, because when the kids are in school, you know, we we don't get as many families. Obviously, when the kids are out of school, we, we draw a lot of families and a lot of people come to St. Louis for spring break or summer, you know, summer vacations or this long weekend. So we see a lot of people from out of town or, you know, out of the area. So I'm blessed with that. Then, you know, then I've seen more lately, you know, ever since, you know, COVID kind of changed the way a lot of us do business. You know, there's not as many people working downtown because my, my meat and potatoes from, you know, September until the end of May was business people coming in from downtown or, you know, surrounding office buildings and they're gone. So, we get we still get some of that, but we don't get what we used to. Now we get more people that are retired or that are you know on their day off during the week, and so it's it's a little different dynamic. But you know, then when the Cardinals are in town, you know, people come into town to see the Cardinals play, so they you know they might come down here because they've got a family. They don't want to take them to a bar; they want to take them to a place that's family friendly, and that's what we are. You know, it's, you know, it's ice cream, it's candy. You know, kids love all that stuff. So, so you know, you, you know, the dynamic of who we are and, and what we do, it, it's 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 always the same, but it's always a little bit different depending on what time of year it is. Always a little different indeed. And for those of you just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Andy Karanzif. He's the owner of Crown Candy Kitchen in the St. Louis area. It is a family-owned business that has been in operation for 110 years since 1913. Andy, when we were originally trying to set this interview up, because you have such a hectic schedule around the Easter time, it got me thinking, can you put into perspective how big of a rush that was to get all those Easter baskets prepared for a time frame like that. Well, Easter's a Easter's a big holiday. That's the, that's the biggest. It's Easter, then it's Christmas, then it's Valentine's. As far as you know, how how we go. So I start making Easter candy in January. So I I hand pour all the chocolate uh, Easter bunnies. We made about we haven't got a total count, but somewhere between nine thousand ninety five hundred Easter bunnies this year. So, you know, like I said, hand pouring them, taking them out and, and then, you know, packaging them up. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of labor. It's something I've been doing since I was probably 13 years old. So I've been doing it for almost 46 years now. And it's a long, it's a marathon. Easter is a marathon. So like I said, we start in January making it. And then we start selling it pretty much a week or two after Valentine's Day, depending on when Easter falls. And that's a five or six week journey of, you know, mom and dad and aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa coming down, 
and getting all the Easter candy because it's a it's a tradition. You know, it's been three or four generations now that have been eating Easter bunnies and peanut butter eggs and marshmallow eggs, you know, and, and heavily hashed baskets, you know, from us. So, you know, that's why that's one reason why we're still here is we have this legacy with our customers that we have a generational you know, following of people. So I sometimes I can look up and I can see three and sometimes even four generations of, in a family down here at one time. And it's, you know, once again, that's pretty impressive and, and overwhelming to think that, you know, my family's been lucky enough to have this you know, in our lives. Okay. The wrap up question that I have for you, Andy, is with the amount of experience that you have, I'm sure you're a master and a jack of all trades for anything that comes through your door or in operation of your, your business. But if you had to pick one thing that you're confident with that you can make a mean, whether it's a chocolate Easter bunny or peanut butter egg or something Valentine's related or whatever, you can make it better than anyone in the region. What's your go to that you know that you can do it in your sleep or is it all or is it everything? <laughs> Oh, it's it's the, it's a chocolate malt or chocolate shake. That's by far. I mean, that's that's people say that this is the best malt or shake I've ever had, and I don't really want to think of how many, probably hundreds of thousands of those I've made in the last forty something years. But yeah, it's the, it's the chocolate malt, chocolate shake. Either either are. It's just it's that's where I love to be. I love to be out front scooping ice cream, being a soda jerk. That's that's my happy place, and, and it gets crazy out there. We, we don't write nothing down. We all remember our orders in our heads, so people are a little bit impressed by the fact that in the middle of chaos, I can remember four chocolate shakes, two strawberry shakes, uh, you know, a hot fudge shake and an Oreo shake, and 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 then throw some hot fudge sundaes and crown sundaes in there. And, and on a beautiful, perfect day, I can remember all of it. And 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 like I said, I can probably do that in my sleep. I probably do sometimes. <laughs> Well, it definitely seems like you can with the experience you have. So next time I'm in the St. Louis area, I'm definitely coming by for a chocolate malt or a shake and one of those pound BLTs. That sounds like an absolutely scrumptious adventure for anyone that has been listening to this. This has been Andy Karanzif. He is the owner of Crown Candy Kitchen in the St. Louis area. Once again, Andy, thank you so much for your time here on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Cameron, thank you so much. Have a great day. And if you've enjoyed the fantastic story that you're listening to today, but maybe you didn't get to hear the whole thing or you want to go back and hear it another time, share it with anyone that you want to. Make sure to check it out on the Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri podcast. That's on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think I'm getting a BLT this weekend with a pound of bacon. Enjoy. We'll talk to you Monday. Show Me Today.